do they mention what he drinks in here somewhere, since the drinking and driving is a big issue? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Never Stay Dead, the podcast where we talk about comics and we keep coming back to life just as our favorite heroes do. I'm Damien, and I'm here with my partner, Matt, and Matt is going to tell us what we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah, so this time we're talking about Green Lantern, uh, Emerald Dawns 1 and 2, which are pretty big for green lantern green lantern was kind of a character that had some prominence but floated through dc for a while um being in one of the what was it um tales of i forget what it was originally long ago <laughs> tales of suspense wasn't it oh i don't know where he originally came out but i don't think tales of suspense would be i think that's a marvel title oh god you're right um but I mean, also, it wasn't even Hal Jordan, right? It was Alan Scott, and it was right. more mystical. That was back in the um, in the Golden Age. Was Scott? He got his powers like from a llama or some, or you know, some mystical, magical thing. A llama. A llama, as in a religious figure, spiritual figure in the East, like Dalai Lama. But I might be wrong. I act so now. I feel dumb. I feel like I know the Golden Age Green Lantern, but suddenly it's. Slipped out of my mind where the source of his powers. <laughs> I was just imagining this green llama pulling a lantern from behind its wall and whatnot. And, <laughs> and I think his weakness I... was wood. Was that it? Which now seems like a bad, dirty joke. Yeah, or a, yeah, I was going to say like a vampire or a cheerleader. And then after you know they brought in the Flash and they were doing their more science fiction superheroes, they gave... Green Lantern, an entire new identity that involved, you know, these guardian, mystical guardians, or not mystical, science fictional guardians of the universe who uh, created their police corps called the Green Lanterns. Right. And stories grew and lore grew and all this crazy stuff happens. The villains came in like Sinestro and we slowly got different Green Lanterns uh, beyond our reintroduction with Hal Jordan. We get Guy Gardner. We get Jon Stewart. And we're far off from uh, Kyle Rayner. So did Guy Gardner come before this then? Uh, He was around. He was around in the earlier 90s, I guess he was, yeah. Yeah, because he was who would have, the ring would have gone to if it wasn't Hal Jordan is the lore, which is weird. So then in this 1989-1990 series of Emerald Dawn and then Emerald Dawn 2, it's kind of like um, Frank Miller's Batman Year One. This is kind of Green Lantern's year one, the rethinking of Green Lantern. Yeah, I I thought it was more akin to. Oh gosh, I'm spacing it. What was Superman's reintroduction? Um, oh, with the um, Man of Steel with John Byrne. Yeah, this reads more like that to me. I guess you're right. I I don't know why I was thinking of year one in the sense that, I mean, both both year one and Man of Steel and this rewrite the character a little bit and and rewrite the enemies a little bit. This one maybe not as extreme as either of those, although I'm not as clear on my Green Lantern lore to know for sure. I, I haven't read those older comics because I don't even know how to get a hold of them, frankly, right now. Uh, so I don't know for sure, but my understanding is that it's a bit less of like a reimagining and more of kind of a clarifying moment because... Yeah, Green Lantern had been around, and I mean, Green Lantern had his own series for a bit. He was in action comics for a bit, taking over from Superman for a while, but only a while. And then it was the Green Lantern core for a while, and not just, like, Green Lantern. And it was Green Lantern, Green Arrow for a while. So the character had kind of been knocked around in all these status quos, and people kind of had their chunk or whatever. Didn't really know. And I think this was to kind of have a definitive starting point for the character that they could hold to and have a true origin story right and greenland i think i feel like green lantern was a quote major dc hero that they could never find a way to generate great sales and make him a really popular character you know like you're saying they kept rebooting him and re-showing him up in different ways and then he would get canceled then he would come back and he was always a major member of in the bronze age anyway of the um justice league of america 
And I assume in the Silver Age too. Right. And I mean, it was different Green Lanterns too. And so I think they just wanted to have some kind of clean, pure Green Lantern post-crisis, like really do something definitive. And so in a lot of ways, I'd almost argue this feels like it's bigger for the character than what we eventually got with Jeff Johns during Rebirth. Well, it's certainly, I think it got a lot of buzz at the time. That's my memory of it. And I I know, I can't remember why, but I know that I bought this a very uh, flimsy trade of it back in 1990. Um, and I didn't buy many trades back then because not many existed. So the fact that this went to trade very quickly in the comic book shops was because it was already so popular with the comic book shop crowd, they thought they could keep spreading the the love for it by publishing this cheap trade. Well, and like you said, I think it's a character that people knew about, but def- didn't have access to read solo. So I feel like this definitive origin story really gave people access to Green Lantern and probably really helped. And putting that trade forward like that, they probably viewed as more as like a hook for people, uh, which is probably why they pushed it before trades were so big. And I, I just think it's honestly... I just really like Emerald Dawn's one and two. <laughs> I, th- I think they're cool. Well, so how about we talk about Emerald Dawn one? Because they're two kind of interleaved, but they're two different stories. Um, so why don't we just focus on one of them to start with, which is Emerald Dawn one. Sure. Gives us Hal Jordan before he got his powers. Son of a test pilot became a test pilot, but is apparently not a very good test pilot a screw-up, all the way to the point where he gets drunk and smashes up a car and hurts one of his friends because of it. Yeah, which was probably the most controversial and oddest thing they did with this reboot, is make Hal Jordan a drunk. A lot of people took issue with that because, you know, if the Green Lanterns have one thing ubiquitously across everything, it's that they need to have this, like, mythic almost superhuman level of willpower in order to use the ring properly and so by making hal jordan an alcoholic it feels like the kind of person who would have a substandard kind of willpower you might argue i understand some people might take issue with that keep in mind also this was the 80s too but but i mean just at the very least it, it is odd it's an odd choice but it is also the idea of like, well, overcoming that takes an incredible amount of willpower as well. So yeah, I mean, I, I think while I, I I basically like Emerald Dawn, I find the there's a lack in effort put in may, really tying the character up clearly. Like it seems that there's some issue with the fact that his father died, a super brave guy in a crash of an airplane and he can't live up to that. And so I guess he drinks because of that, or is he drinking just this one time? Cause he's angry. Cause his girlfriend broke up with him. It, it's not his, his, uh, his flaws aren't in close enough focus for me. Well, it, uh, it, so I, I find the, um, the ideas contained in the story good, but maybe not always developed as well as, as I, as a reader in the modern times right now, wish for. But maybe at the time, I I might have been quite impressed by it. Well, and I think that's fair. It's not it's not perfect. There's some weirdness. There's also some weirdness in the idea that, I mean, uh, Carol Ferris, who's Green Lantern's, you know, general assumed romantic partner, right. um, is kind of his boss here, but also I don't feel like her dad's left yet, so she's just kind of the daughter of the boss, but they're dating. And so that relationship's just kind of odd. Like, I, I don't know why she's either with him or so mad at him. It feels like... That's kind of an example of how things are not brought into focus. Like, they have some general idea of a problem between him and Carol, but they don't have a very specific idea of the problem between him and Carol, as presented within the pages of this book. You get enough of the idea for it to basically work, but it, it feels, to me, a bit hazy. And then they don't um, bother to change some other oddities that were in the original stories. Like, um, very quickly, after we deal with this drunken problem that we've been kind of talking about, uh, Green Lantern's pulled from this test apparatus to Abin Sur, who's the character who has 
the Green Lantern ring, which allows them to use the power. And I didn't quite understand that, that his he's in a flight simulator and suddenly it just flies out the out the wall, and which is impossible, right, for a right. flight simulator. And then everyone blames him for it, like he could control Well, I mean, that. it's how weird stuff's happening all the time. But, I mean, <laughs> your flight simulator you flies off into the sky and they blame you for their, your malfunctioning, bizar- bizarrely malfunctioning um, equipment. Well, I just don't think you spend enough time at corporate America, Damien. That seems pretty on point for me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> to me, it seemed like no. I totally we're just right. we're just trying to make everybody against Hal because that's how it needs to be. Um, it didn't make me dislike the book, but I just sort of noticed all those kinds of little things. And the first issue is a bit jankier than the rest. I feel, which was also written by uh, Christopher Priest, and then he left. And that's very interesting because they only credit him as the writer of the first issue and then other people are plotters and writers of other issues. But if he wrote this first issue, he must have had a plot. Did they not follow the plot he gave him or did they just not credit him for the rest of the plot of the six issue series? Maybe he's just drinking through it. And for those who don't know, James Owsley is also Christopher Priest. He changed his name to Christopher Priest later on. So I can't help but think that a lot of the interesting qualities of this may have come from James Owsley in the first place. Right. But Christopher Priest is often to me a writer who kind of is elusive, like he'll shift points of view in weird ways and kind of skip over certain details and let you fill them in. So I guess maybe, I don't know, maybe that's part of some of my problems with things. Well, I also wonder because he, wrote this first issue but there's so many other people if they're just playing patchwork and then putting it together it feels like you know because they're trying to do this big thing and then uh it's only six issues like maybe just take the ideas scrap it rewrite it and move on but and beyond this first issue it seems like keith geffen is the real power behind it in most issues he does the breakdowns which are the super rough pencils and the plotting So um, it's kind of like other people are just polishing up his ideas for him after the fact in both the art and the writing. But as I was saying, I find it funny that, you know, um, so so I just want to run this down. I mean, if you don't know Green Lantern at all, Green Lanterns can construct anything they conceive of uh, with the power of their ring that needs to be charged once a day, roughly. and they can fly through space. Right. And their great power is supposed to be their lack of fear and their willpower. That's why they're chosen. And to like really push the power of the ring, they have to like tap into their own willpower in order to like push it through. So there's some sort of connection between them to it. And some of the power has changed through time. That's not as important. But what is important here is that they can fly through space of their own accord at unknown speeds. Right. Beyond the speed of light, clearly. <laughs> But when this Avan Sir character, who, whenever Green Lantern dies, the ring finds the nearest person with whatever level of willpower to to induct them into the Green Lantern Corps. Um, so this character is dying so Hal Jordan can get the ring. But this guy's in a spaceship. Why is he in a spaceship? We never see Green Lanterns in a spaceship. It's this weird inadequacy, and they just kept it. And I, yeah, and I think that dates back, I believe, to the original Silver Age origin where Abensur is in a uh, spaceship. They should then just have all the Green Lanterns have spaceships that allow them to go at, you know, trans light speeds. Yeah. But anyway, they don't. <laughs> right. And, and I do think, you know, I know roughly about this stuff about willpower and the lack of fear, but I don't know if it's spelled out in the Emerald Dawn book, even though this is kind of a re- reboot. Um, so that was. I feel like it is, but I don't feel like it is in the first issue. Okay, I don't recall where they spell it out. Maybe, maybe when he's getting his training on Oa later on. Yeah, that's where I remember it being. Because I mean, they do kind of keep a lot of it oblique, so you're supposed to be seeing it through Hal Jordan's eyes. So you do kind of learn it as they go, which keeps it, I think, fun and punchy even on a reread because it's not all there. So it's interesting. It's also interesting to me that um, Hal Jordan, when he first gets the ring, it, it dons the Green Lantern costume on him, but he doesn't have the domino mask. He chooses to have the domino mask later. The fact that no one would recognize him with that mask is still a, a fiction, but anyway. 
Well, it, to me, it's almost funnier that he think anyone would recognize him when he's so far up in the air or far away or whatever anyways. Wasn't like, it after he flies right by the cockpit of a pilot who knows him? Yeah, and I mean, I get. I mean, I don't know. Would you recognize anyone at that point? Any? Well, he was very close to the airplane, so. Yeah. In fact, I think someone does recognize him and say, Jordan, what are you doing up here? And still they blame everything on him and they don't like, oh, whoa, what's happened? Something weird's happened to Al Jordan. Right. We're kind of getting ahead. I, I did want to point out, um, so when Jordan gets drunk and his friend dies in the crash. His friend doesn't die, right? He goes into the hospital and dies later. He dies. Well, yeah, he dies in the hospital, but ultimately. He dies because of. A character who we haven't mentioned yet. Yeah. So, so Hal Jordan blames this sign that's yellow, which is the Green Lantern's weakness. We know that. But he decides he's going to go and destroy the sign, and he flies into it. <laughs> and then it, it knocks him out. And it's this weird setup where we know what's going on, but he doesn't. And this is the most Christopher Priest thing left in the comic. This like weird, dark humor right there. I just wanted to mention it because he's on it. And then um, he's left. But I mean, this one page is the most. You know, I did not put that together that he's knocked out because he went through a yellow sign. (laughs) No, I don't know when there's a lot about the yellowness of things. I don't know when they uh, got rid of that. I mean, that's no longer a thing, right? The Greenlanders have so, problems with yellow. Yeah, during Rebirth, well, it wasn't necessarily fully in Rebirth. It's somewhere in Jeff Johns' run. The impurity of the yellow is somewhat held back, but the Greenlanders are still weaker to it, but it's not as prominent as it is during these days. But they might have... But also, I feel like... I've also been reading... Um, I just can't remember. Grant Morrison's Green Lantern that's going on currently. And it feels like the yellow stuff is a bit more like it was. Oh, is it? Okay. Back in the day. And he's not using the Jeff Johns um, emotional spectrum core stuff. Yeah. So stuff comes and goes. I think what I liked about this whole Green Lantern, uh, Emerald Dawn one is the way it, it balances basically three three threads which is Hal Jordan's personal life his trying to figure out how to be a superhero and eventually getting trained and the the villain who I assume is introduced in issue two which we're looking at at the moment um this guy who's all yellow (laughs) as convenience would have it so I like the way it it took all it, it remained a very basic comic really it it but it somehow was more balanced and a little bit more well thought out than your usual bronze age comic but it still had a very bronze age feel to it yeah i'd agree with that it didn't it didn't try to get all super snazzy or extra fancy um it it didn't really feel like it was in the um post watchman era or the 90s kind of uh let's put art in your out the wazoo (laughs) to the art just service the story in a kind of way that it would have been the bronze age i think yeah i'd agree with that i yeah i don't know i just kind of dug this and i I also like the idea that hal jordan's this fight you know this test pilot guy because it's it's someone with you know a skill some sort of thing that sets him apart, but it's not some sort of thing that necessarily carries through to everything. So Hal feels more like an elevated everyman, I guess. He doesn't have some special skills he's bringing to every fight in every situation, but he is a cut above, I guess. So it's not trying to deal with the idea of some schlub. He's a guy kind of struggling to live up to his father and who perhaps has some chops as a test pilot, but also some flaws. Right. And apparently is also like a toy salesman and a wandering farmer and he had all kinds of weird jobs. When was that? Oh, that was uh, under Grant Morrison? No, that was earlier in all before this run. Okay. So what did you, maybe I'm skipping ahead a bit. There's his friend who's in the hospital Sorry. here. But what did you think of this uh, villain? 
it's a fun kind of sci-fi villain that's perfectly equipped to be like the anti-green lantern Mm -hmm. thing right it's completely covered in gold it's an android thing it has something more against the guardians and abin sir and hal doesn't have anything against it but he sees that it's a problem and i think that's a great setup for the initial thing I think that's better for a superhero mm-hmm. to have a villain that's not a personal grudge match right out the gate. It makes it feel like their ascension to herodom is more about what they're doing than about avenging their parents' death or whatever. And what I think is really interesting I, when we get there in Emerald Dawn 2 is even that's true of Sinestro, even though that becomes more personal over time, that's only right. because of their repeated encounters. Right. Emerald Dawn 2 sets up why it would become that. Yeah, again, I think the villain in particular made me think of this in terms of a Bronze Age kind of comic and a Bronze Age kind of villain, but somehow it's, it's more controlled and a little more thought out but it's not getting too fancy or too psychological or it's it's just your basic villain but there is and but there is a slight hint at a moral ambiguity about is he really the bad guy in some from a certain point of view but we don't spend a lot of time dwelling on that right uh what's it goldface i'm spacing legion Legion. not the best name he's and we eventually find out he's like the contains the minds of an entire race or the spirits or something like that right and i mean we can appreciate any good hero fighting against the legion in dc right (laughs) well see there's the problem there right the legion fans are going to be upset that he was called legion (laughs) but i was just looking at some early bronze age fantastic four with uh the overmind in it who was the sum total of all his people from his planet that was destroyed, that was now out to conquer the universe, starting with Earth, of course. So that was a similar idea, but it done in a more goofy way. And this is the same idea, but done a little more believable. He just isn't just decided to be evil and conquer the whole universe. He, he has a reason for wanting to get revenge against uh, the Guardians. Right. But before we get there, the cliffhanger on this issue two that carries us to issue three, I thought was actually really kind of clever, uh, or at least cleverly written. Um, so Hal is, you know, playing with this Green Lantern power, but he hasn't really been inducted or anything. He doesn't really understand anything. So Legion's saying, you're going to take me to Oa. And he's like, what are you talking about? I have no idea. And then the power on his ring runs out so he returns to his civvies and this alien's like where where, where, where did go? the green lantern go and tosses him aside that's how he gets out of it pure ignorance of the situation i just right like he doesn't understand that a human could be a green lantern so he doesn't even right once he sees he's holding a human in his hand he doesn't equate it with the green lantern yeah which I just thought that was fun and kind of a play of the secret identity thing the other way. It was just a fun little comic book moment that you can't really ever do that at any other point. It was just a fun little thing to toss in here when they could. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of nice things like that. And the whole thing of your heroes in jail, all he keeps getting thrown into jail yeah. because he's a wanted drunk driver. <laughs> yeah. And then... And then the um, scene where the, the alien legion comes to the prison and or the sheriff, wherever they have him in jail for the moment, and tears up the whole place. It reminded me a bit of uh, Terminator. Doesn't Terminator in the first Terminator movie come through to prison and just destroy the place? Yes. Yeah. Right. Prison was big in the 90s. <laughs> M.D. Bright, who at other times went by Mark Bright, is this is my favorite art that I've seen by him? Um, I don't know. Well, he was also working with Keith Geffen layouts too, but it just seems like very strong but unshowoffy kind of art that is telling a good superhero story. Where else have you seen his stuff? I feel like I've seen him in a variety of, in the in the eighties in a variety of Marvel and DC comics, but I can't remember specifics. And then I know. 
he drew Quantum and Woody, which I never read. So maybe his art was just as good in Quantum and Woody as here. I think this is probably better than most of that. <laughs> I kind of always viewed him as an artist who, you know, could do a passably good job, but but was always outshone by other artists and kind of workmanlike, workmanlike artist. Yeah, you know, you wouldn't be too upset if he was doing the fill in. <laughs> fill an issue before John Buscema came back or something like that. But, <laughs> but you weren't excited that he was doing it, the book either. So yeah, so he, his, this uh, Legion goes on a rampage searching for the Green Lantern and I guess can fo- follow traces of the Green Lantern. So follows some trace of the Green Lantern to the, ho- to the hospital where his injured friend from his drunk driving is and kills everybody in the hospital. And so then Hal blames himself for his friend's death, feels he's killed his friend. And there's no um, surprise, your friend's not really dead or kind of thing later on. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no happy comeuppance here. It's all. And I think part of that's good because they were kind of adding this to the story. So by putting these characters in, they know they kind of have to leave them behind right and they're not trying to fill in some secret backstory to give more villains later or something so yeah hooray for characters staying dead i found it that eventually we see abin sir and well we don't meet sinestro in this series so i guess i shouldn't say that he's he he's present but if you didn't know to look for him you'd miss him so and eventually he um he asks the ring to take him to another, when he realizes there are other uh, members of the core, the Green Green uh, Lantern Corps, he asks the ring to take him to one. And then the ring takes him to the nearest one in, on some other star system. And then that guy takes him to Oa, where he gets trained. I mean, there's some cute scenes where it shows how um, Hal doesn't know what he's doing. But of course, no one's explained anything to him. <laughs> So in this one scene that we just skipped past, there's this like carnivorous grass they're trying to deal with. So he like makes a giant lawnmower to deal with it. They're like, no, wait. And then it turns out that just makes it duplicate, which it's just a stupid, fun sci-fi idea, which is half the fun of Green Lantern. Well, and one thing they don't, I mean, this was a fun uh, visual, which, which has very much that Silver Age Green Lantern where he makes goofy things to solve a problem like a giant vacuum cleaner to suck up a bad guy or something they don't do a lot of that in this and i don't maybe they don't in the jeff johns world either well jeff johns tried to make more of a thing of it so like hal would do these very like perfunctory um designs uh and then guy would do the most blunt object kind of things and then Kyle would do all these artistic and crazy ideas because he's an artist. And then um, John would create all these detailed ideas because he's an architect, right? And yeah, so you have less of the fun ideas, but they'd still get some goofy stuff in there. I, I, I don't know. I feel like if you're not willing to see a grass problem and create a giant lawnmower to deal with it, it's not a good Green Lantern story. But that's the point of it. <laughs> But as soon as we get to Oa, I immediately get kind of a negative vibe about the Guardians. Did you get that feeling? Oh, you're you usually do. They're they're jerks. And I think that's always a always I mean I just haven't read a lot of Green Lantern, but it's always a problem for me when I do. The Guardians are obviously it's not a good way to run the universe the way they do. <laughs> And so they're obviously a problem, and so I always have a problem that the Green Lantern, that our hero is a part of this system. And I guess, you know, if it were done a little more subtly, and it's not too unsubtle to hear, but, you know, if someday these people who seem really good turn out to be bad, but they always seem kind of creepy, so it's really no surprise when every once in a while they turn out to be evil. Well, they do have their problems, but then... Um they dealt with this in different ways throughout the run that comes up and they had a one-off to kind of address it, which was Ganthet's story. So you've read the run that comes out, follows after this? A good help. I'm, I'm up to issue 40 and also read through Mosaic. So. And who was, who was the creative team on most of that, those 40 issues? I mean, was Giffen still involved or. 
Yeah, it's like Jared Jones and MD Bright are. So MD Bright goes for a while. Oh, they continued it. Okay. There's more art changeover, obviously, and whatnot, but yeah. Especially when you get to Mosaic, which was a different series. Originally, I only read uh, Emerald Dawn 1 and didn't even know of the existence of Emerald Dawn 2 till much later. It seems kind of hidden, which is weird to me because I prefer it over the first. Anyways, um, but they, they do a lot with the Guardians as they go on. They kind of do different forces, but they purposely made Ganthet more empathetic because I think they realize in order for people to be doing this kind of thing, they need to have a character that you like. Otherwise, it just doesn't even work. Well, I remember even, you know, back when Neil Adams was doing the Green Lantern, the Guardians turned bad. They're always turning bad. And it's not that big of a shock, but it's supposed to be a big shock, I guess. And they had a great arc to deal with that that I just read, where they seem like kind of jerks to, like, Hal and other people, because Hal has this point where he breaks down, and he's like, you're giving me answers. What about this? What about that? And they're like, you're concerning yourself with the lives of these people who have maybe, like, another 20 years left. We're concerned about the inevitable heat death of the universe and the amount of energy going to that so the universe is reborn at some point so fuck off with your trivial uh, nonsense but isn't that thanos's reason for killing half the universe you know they're like thanos. well no 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 thanos is like about balance and so half the population has to go they're saying entropy is coming um, but in order for the universe to re- be reborn at some point, there has to be enough positive energy left. So if too much darkness claims, the universe won't be reborn. So we have to do a certain amount of good. But people who did relative good, who maybe live a little shorter. So where that's not in these books, but where, yeah. right? I mean, we don't yeah. know what. Well, no, and that's the kind of quirky, fun sci-fi stuff that they throw in and. Right, so and that's kind of like Galactus, right? He commits evil to save the universe in the end, it turns out. What? I thought he was just hungry. No, it turns out that he has to eat a certain amount of planets so that when the universe comes to an end, he has the power to um, cause the universe to re- have a rebirth at the, at the collapse of the universe. When did they introduce that idea? I think in a Jack Kirby Thor issue, or maybe. Maybe it was in John Byrne's uh, Fantastic Four run. Okay, so it probably predates the Green Lantern thing. Trial of Galactus. And it pops up every now and then. It's, I think it's popping up in Thor right now, where Thor is now helping Galactus and becoming his herald. What the... Hee-haw. What, the Donny Cates? <laughs> yeah, gotta, gotta give it up for that guy. He's uh... another screwy Donny Cates cosmic story. Yeah. He's making Cosmic Marvel entertaining. Good for him. No one else could do it. <laughs> Seems that way. <laughs> so, back to the Green Lantern. We get this little bit kind of about the Guardians and some of what they do, and a little bit about the core. And I like this idea that Hal's being led around, but he's just instantly okay with Tomar Ray, who's this finhead alien, and some of these others. And it's just, it's fun. Right. And since Hal couldn't make it to the funeral, he uh, force projects himself to be there. A hologram, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I was just very struck how unsympathetic everyone was to him. I guess it was like boot camp. But, you know, here we we have basically shanghaied this guy. (laughs) It's not like someone said, would you like to become a Green Lantern? (laughs) It's just like, yeah. boom, you got the ring, now you're responsible, we blame things on you, and we're going to train you and tell you how much you suck until you get better. You poozer. Yeah. So it, it is a lot like being shanghaied into the crew of her, her, her majesty's navy or something back in the old days in England. And uh, I, here's some of the fun stuff, though, with the reintroduction. Like, we have Kilowog from the start, and yes. he's training Hal, which is just taking advantage of the lore they established and making it go from the beginning and immediately i think kilowog becomes the most uh relatable or interesting of the lanterns all the others are kind of dry well and because ridden wise i mean he's a character that the writers have spent more time with and there's more about him because he was part of the justice league for a little while while the green lanterns were 
down and out before this reboot was happening. Yeah. I don't even remember where I got to know Kilowog, even though I feel like I know the character. I don't know if there's a ton to know, but uh, yeah, he's a he's a fun one. And then in the middle of his training, uh, Legion finds Oa and comes and starts killing Guardians. Or no, not not Guardians yet, killing Green Lanterns. And, I mean, ultimately here, they all team up to try to deal with it. And then Hal gets this bright idea of just flying into the power battery to, like, super juice himself, which apparently no one's ever done. And apparently they didn't think anyone could do, but he can. That part's, again, never really explained. Never does it need to be. And ultimately what he does is uses his super juiced up powers to throw this yellow guy into the mud so he can knock him around. Right. <laughs> so maybe he could have thought of the mud even without being super juiced up. But yeah, but that was kind of cool. I mean, you would think the Green Lanterns are used to all the time coming, working around the whole yellow problem, you know, either by using their powers to cover someone in something or, you know, you can't directly punch the yellow guy so you can drop a mountain on him or something. <laughs> I feel like uh, Bright's art got even better on Oa. Like, I think he really went to, went to town on, on the whole alien landscape and alien city. I mean, if you're a comic book artist, right? Like, you spend so much time doing talking heads and stuff. Like, I feel like most artists, you'll notice their art ticks up a little bit when you get to the action stuff, because that's what they showed up for. And here, I mean, you're getting to draw, like, what is it? Like a giant baseball bat, this giant, like, mud shoot, a giant roller. Like, it's really basic shapes and stuff, but it's, like, fun and kinetic around it. Like... Well, and I was thinking of these interior shots of the of the Guardian Citadel, or the exterior shots too. It just seemed like he really, um, anyway, he really shined in that. I, I enjoyed that a lot. Well, and I think this little fight here, this end of Emerald Dawn, really kind of gets to a big part of what I've been really grabbed by with Green Lantern lately. Is he's kind of the perfect comic book superhero all these kooky ideas that happen really quick you only really need a panel but you get a cool drawing and uh you move on and it's all this stuff that you know if they have to see gi animate and all that sure they can do that now right but it's so much build-up still whereas in a comic book it's just it's there and you get to enjoy the story and move on and it's just it's perfect for comics so and then they, they smash through, or Hal smashes apart the yellow shell that holds Legion, who is, you know, the essence of an entire species. And it turns into this giant mindless blob monster of kind of almost uh, Cthulhu-esque proportions that's about to just suck away the energy of the entire planet and destroy everybody. And the Guardians are, okay, we're going to leave now and uh, our Green Lanterns can stay and die. And uh, and I've already forgotten how they solve that problem. But So this is, I'm sorry, I misspoke earlier. This is when he flies into the giant battery. And then he... Um... Oh, right. So he did figure out the mud on himself. And then he flies into the giant battery. And no one, I forget what they say, like no one can do that, but he decides to do it anyway or... Well, he just has so much willpower, you see. Right. Now, there again is where this fuzziness is. We've never seen anything to make us think he has much willpower. Well, he's Hal Jordan. He's he's this uh, failed failure who has resorted to drink, and that ends in bad failed failure of a failed man. He's a failure uh, of a failed man. Well, I mean, he's pushed himself through all this. He's climbing back up i don't know he's pushed himself through he feels like someone who keeps trying to do his best but it doesn't always work out that well or he makes a bad decision like drinking and driving well, and it's kind of that old adage of like the will of what makes someone a hero right is to just get back up when things get hard and here he is like the only reason he's daring this is because it's the solution he sees but it's the solution he sees that no one else does which i i think is fun because it's I swear there's a term for this, but he's only been introduced to so many elements and powers of the Green Lantern. 
And so he's able to kind of laser focus on one thing that other people wouldn't consider because they have a wider tool belt, as it were, but he's just using what he knows and going for it, which allows him to create a new solution that other people wouldn't consider. And so... Or you might say his yeah. rebelliousness and recklessness finally pays off when he does something reckless, like dive into the main power battery. Right. And again, in this upcoming volume and later, um, it kind of becomes Hal Jordan's character that his need to question authority or his need to rebel or whatever is also tied to where his heroism comes from. So he's always kind of a uh, weakness and strength is all mm. the same thing. Well, maybe in the later issues they get this more into focus because in Emerald Dawn, it just wasn't totally clear was he rebellious until we get to this point where he goes into the power ring. But was he doing things because he was rebellious or just because he kind of screwed up with the ladies and screwed up his job and he gets misunderstood and then he makes bad decisions? But Well, and I also feel like, and this is something interesting, is that Hal Jordan is read to be older than most superheroes and continues to be. Hmm, I didn't think and that. And so here we're getting kind of his rebellious youth where a lot of that comes from. And it's not until he kind of hones his edges that it becomes heroicisms when it's tempered with uh some of the wisdom of age which is also another reason why i've been appreciating green lantern because you know you grow up reading spider-man something to aspire to now spider-man's younger than i'm supposed to be so that's all trash and <laughs> here's something to look at <laughs> well so he he defies the norms and and dives in and gets the full power of the battery and does defeat the bad guy, sends him spiraling off into space where they can contain him and send him back, or it at this point, this protoplasmic container of the essence of an entire species. But I don't know, I just kept wishing for more layers to this. So one layer here might have been, yes, Hal solved the problem, but, but what was the cost of diving into the Supreme's power source? That no one else dared to do. I guess he has a bit of a headache afterwards, but yeah. How much? How much do you need here? And I suppose you could say the cost is now the guardians have picked him out as someone who might be a problem, which is weird. Oh, the poor guardians! They kidnap this guy and turn him into a Green Lantern, and then he turns into a problem. What are we going to do? Well, also they they view his rebelliousness as a problem, but he's also the guy who just saved the day. And the yeah. fact that they're viewing as a problem right here, right now, is bonkers. <laughs> they're they're selfish dicks. I mean, entirely. They look like it too. They're, they don't have any solutions to any problems, and they just run away. <laughs> but they tell everyone what to do. <laughs> you can't trust a group of guy with blue balls because they're all just grumpy and going to take it out on you. So, and then a very cool setup in a very unexpected way for the next series is we get kind of a coda of Hal coming out of prison, having done his time for drunk driving, mm -hmm. hard time in a penitentiary, not, not just in county jail. And, you know, all is forgiven and he's being given a job back at the um, Ferris, Ferris Airlines, Ferris yeah. uh, Aircrafts. Without his ring's help, he manages... Well, see, here's another fuzzy... Okay, it was all being happy ending for me. Yeah, he manages to land the airplane, but no, the airplane blows up. Just like his daddy. In an enormous explosion. And without the help of his ring, he walks out alive for no reason. It's just, well, he's the hero now, so he walks out alive of an explosion. Then he comes and picks up his ring, which he sent away. But no human being could survive in a a plane that explodes on hitting a mountainside or a hillside. He willed it, so. So that makes no sense. But what what is really cool, actually, is them showing him come out of prison because of what happens in Emerald Dawn 2, which I think is is the more brilliant of these books, which you've already alluded to, that you liked it better. Yeah. And in the first cover of Emerald Dawn 2, we see him behind bars, and it's called 90 Days, Part 1 of 6. Yeah. So what they do cleverly is they go back. They skipped over, you know, they just had him coming out of prison at the end of the last issue, but they skipped over his time in prison. And now this entire six issue story 
is going to take place while he was in prison. And that is kind of brilliant, I thought. Um, I'm glad you like it. I don't think I've ever seen a comic book play with things quite this way. So he's a loser in prison who got a bum sentence uh, or a tougher sentence than anyone expected for drunk driving. I don't know why you're calling him a loser here. The guy went to go do the right thing, kind of take it on the chin, pay his time, as opposed to play it down. And the judge threw the book at him. The judge makes an example of him. Although nowadays, a drunk driver that leads to someone's death would actually often be uh, accused of manslaughter, which could put you in jail a lot longer. But I guess back then, usually drunk drivers would just get a slap on the wrist. Well, also, I mean, the guy died in the hospital that blew up, right? True. Like, he was only injured before, so eh, there's some weird circumstances. You're right. You're right there. So, but what's really cool then is he has to deal with life in prison, and then the guardians send someone to train him, and the person training him and the guardians don't care at all about his life on Earth. He's just, okay, you've got to be trained now. So he has to constantly leave and come back to prison. Right. And then they beautifully tie together the prison story by the end of the six issues with the bigger story of his training. And I've been dancing around who his trainer is, which I also thought was kind of a cool thing. But maybe that's already part of Green Lantern lore. I don't know. Oh, it, it was. Um, well, not the prison part. If Sinestro was always the person who had trained. Well, I don't know about that, actually. But they, they do another cool bit of Green Lantern lore here, which is the next page. There it is. Well, with uh, the introduction of Guy Gardner as a completely different person. Mm-hmm. This is before his coma, where he wakes up as the Guy Gardner right. you know with the bowl cut. Because uh, the Guy Gardner it, I know was a a police officer, right? From a, oh, really, I think he was a police officer from kind of a you know your cliched Irish working class police type of family. Am I getting that wrong? I think that's what he was. I've heard linebacker, social worker, and like superhero. Well, here he's not. a social worker who struggles with anger issues a little bit. But is essentially right. a square, a square clean cut kind of guy, not at all the working class, slightly iconoclastic guy that we think of Guy Gardner as, or I think of Guy Gardner as. Right, and they allude to his time as a football player. Ah, right, and he has a degree in physical education. They mentioned. Right. And then we are introduced to the person who is going to train him, who is Sinestro. Sinestro. Obviously psychotic from the beginning, but the Guardians never noticed that. And well, his, so... his mania, he has a mania for order beyond the point of any rationality. Um, and it, on comic book levels, it's fun that he is this type of person. But... but they do it really cleverly to make the point that he's a fascist with that. So He's like a... An OCD fascist. His OCD is for order, and he wants to put entire planets into order. I, I mean, it's a loose anagram, but I mean, he's an anagram for Mussolini, right? Like, so. I hadn't thought of that because I don't know enough about Mussolini, other than he. I mean, that's why he has that particular stash. Uh, did Mussolini have a mustache? I don't even know what Mussolini. Focus for order. Yeah, so they were playing off Mussolini when they were doing semester. I mean, it's not one for one there's different incarnations over the years right but that's there and especially here so what do you know so again i guess he's so cartoony there is that bronze age quality to him again but stuck in a much tighter plot than most bronze age comics would have so i really enjoyed the all the ridiculousness of of sinestro and of course, the Guardians have no idea what he's doing on his planet. But we end issue one here with uh, Sinestro popping in on Hal in jail, being like, everything's out of control. Ah. Right. He hates the messiness of the jail. Which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's more of that at the beginning of issue two. Well, and what's really fun here is uh, because there is kind of a weird kinship between Hal Jordan and Sinestro throughout the years. Um, you have this weird buddy cop thing going throughout this comic. So you have a prison story, you have a buddy cop story, and then you have the flip of it. 
and I just think that's cool. Yeah, even when Sinestro, I mean, this is hopping ahead, but when Sinestro first finally does get in trouble with the Guardians, it seems like Hal is trying to figure out, well, how can I help this guy? But finally realizes he can't. Mm-hmm. Well, because he doesn't want to go against him because the guy's been helping train him and he's helping him along. And he knows Sinestro's genuinely trying to help him, but he's also trying to, because you have to keep in mind from Hal's perspective, like they're all aliens and you don't want to necessarily judge how they're doing things. Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Which, I mean, when you consider that it's a anagram for Mussolini, like it's a weird kind of play on cultural relativism, right? So, well, there's always the urge to see, oh, you know, this dictator is taking care of things, making things work, where a sloppy democracy or the mob can't manage to make things work. Yeah, so, I mean, we have some interesting training moments and little peeks at the politics of the universe. <laughs> And they have some fun with the Dominators and stuff, right, from DC around that time, so. I'm, I'm having trouble, so I had my complaints about Emerald Dawn 1, and I, I just, other than the fact that, you know, one part of my brain said, well, Sinestro's too obviously psychotic for the Guardians not to notice. Um, I just enjoyed this one a lot, and I loved the way it wove back and forth between the prison, and, you know, I got all upset at, the Green Lanterns who basically don't care if someone dies in prison because of their pulling Hal Jordan out at the wrong moment, as long as they just get what they want done. And Sinestro even more than other Lanterns. But the whole sense is they're, they're too far above everything and, and don't really care about the details or the individuals enough. Right. And there's great character portrayals of this criminal, of this social worker Guy Gardner, some thought even about the real bad guys in prison who are kind of psychotic and how they just always make bad choices that they think make them the tough guy, but just lead them into worse and worse situations in their own lives. Yeah. I, I think it's this fun, weird social thing where you have kind of like the higher stuff and the lower stuff. It's a really cool uh, dichotomy and it's, it's weird because I'm normally not too big on prison stories because they get so, cd so fast and there's not a lot of fun to be had but here because you're jumping from that to the bizarro sci-fi stuff it, it, i don't know it is more fun and we get all the prison tropes but we kind of bounce by them with sinestro half the time right they don't weigh on us too heavily because we're uh, half the time we're halfway across the universe or at least the galaxy yeah, I think this is kind of the best way to do a prison story because, yeah, usually I get too sunk into kind of the, the depressingness and the horribleness of prison. Eventually we get to that really fun scene where Sinestro takes Hal to his planet. Yeah, so on Sinestro's planet, everywhere along the street are banners with pictures of Sinestro. And the people have to are constantly in fear. When is Sinestro going to show up? We have to throw him a parade the moment he appears. And uh, so he has total dictatorship and presumably, I mean, they don't specify, but presumably is killing people who he finds too chaotic. So, yeah, it's pretty much an utter abuse of the Lantern power. But originally the Guardians wanted him to work with Hal Jordan, because he was so orderly and Hal Jordan was so chaotic. But it also shows the real problem. Like, even though the gardens can take some virtue in saying we're looking at the larger picture, they're so far detached, they're not even looking at what their own agents are doing, in even the broadest strokes. Right, and they believe they're bringing order to the universe. So in some right. level, are they guilty of doing what Sinestro does? Not... Well, I... You know, they do later say, oh, you've taken what we do and gone over the line. But maybe that should make them examine what they're doing and, and what. But I think what's the more interesting idea is that whether or not what they're doing, how close that is to Sinestro. I could see what that is. And that there's something there. But I think the bigger thing is they took someone like Sinestro and they enabled him. Right. 
and they considered him one of their best. They didn't look closely at his methods. They just said, well, the streets are clean in his sector of the galaxy, so that's he's good. Well, I, I, the thing is, is like this wasn't some like, you know, like big secret, right? Like this is this is plastered across his planet. Like if they if they did any kind of review whatsoever, this wouldn't be happening. But they don't. Um, yeah, so it's a total abuse of power, and, and there's no there's no subversion about it. It's plain to see. And again, I think that's the fun of Green Lantern here is like these ideas are front and center. And so we don't have to have this whole weird contrived plot. We can just do it straight. Right. So you can have your metaphor right out in front, so to speak. Yeah. So, well, I'm just going to skip ahead. So they have a trial of Sinestro or, or is there more you want to say before we get to the trial? Well, I feel like the the interesting part here too is kind of when the resolution comes when Hal brings in the other the other Green Lanterns, which Sinestro knows that he doesn't want there, but isn't like willing to fully admit why. Because it would bring disorder or something. Yeah, they think all Green Lanterns are like Sinestro, and so they basically have right. to re-educate the planet about it, and it becomes this whole thing. And this is a huge plot thread that carries through to Jeff Johns oh, or beyond. Okay. Like this is this is some big setup stuff here, and I think that's really cool. And then yeah, we um... right. So if your representative behaves horribly, then people are going to think that's what your thing stands for. Which, you know, right. can be said for allowing your army in the real world to do horrible things in other countries. Then that becomes what your country stands for. So reason to have oversight over the behavior of your army or your police officers or what have you. Before the trial, there's the whole prison riot. Right, there's a prison riot an and then there's a trial. The prison riot sounds pretty cool, but I don't know what to say about it. Well, it's kind of funny because at this point Sinestro's with Hal too, and so you see Sinestro work his way through this riot, and Hal's there, and it's just, it's this fun thing. It's a fun kind of little cat and mouse game, because Hal's trying to, like, navigate his way through this and help out, but also not reveal to anyone that he's the Green Lantern. Right. Uh, to me, this is almost a sitcom issue. Yeah. One of the dangling threads is this friend of his, Willie, who's a criminal, just... Sinestro just sends him away and takes his place. Never says where he sent him or anything. But later we do learn he's still alive because he sends Hal a letter. But um, I was dying to know where he sent Willie. I think it was called Willie, right? And Sounds right. But yeah, so all the different forces, Sinestro and then the Guardians, higher level of police who police the police, and the and the pri- all the different prison dynamics all come together in this final yeah. or penultimate issue, I think. Right. And on some level, it's a cliched prison riot, but on some other level, it's just something slight. It's taking that familiar scene and doing something different with it. You know, the mixture of two Green Lanterns. And... Right. And so... We get the trial of Sinestro where he's obviously found guilty. Right. And then he's sent to like the, what is it? The antimatter universe or something. Mm. Again, the the Guardian's reaction seems to imply a lot of foolishness on their own part. (laughs) Cruelty and foolishness. They're, They're kind of like Professor Xavier. They're terrible. Well, um... Yeah, I mean, they're sending him to hell, but a hell he can eventually come back for, obviously, from, obviously. Mm-hmm. And they um, and they don't acknowledge their own blame. You know, they might have said, well, we're to blame for this. Take away your powers. We'll send you somewhere where you can't do any harm. But where, But to send you somewhere that would be torture for you seems a step beyond, especially the fact that they should take some responsibility for having given him this power when he was not a stable person in the first place. So I guess I'm saying that in a way I want to read more just to find out what more bad decisions the guardians of the universe will make. 
Well, and they have some fun with the Guardians across all of this, because, I mean, they're almost the antagonist in the Mosaic story, and they, they're they contentious throughout the run that follows because they're restarting the Green Lantern Corps, but what does that mean? And then they kind of settle into their ways, and they become really enmatic, and it's interesting that they're an interesting force. They're almost at odds with the Green Lanterns at all time, but they want that because those robots that were the man there hunters. earlier, yeah, um, were what they had before the Green Lanterns. Because they only followed orders, uh, problems came up. I guess when you give the explanation that they're saving the universe from entropy, then that gives them a larger reason of being. What we see here in, in anything I've ever read, where they're just trying to supposedly bring justice and, and good to the universe, they seem to have perhaps started with the wrong approach. <laughs> and like Sinestro, they want to take away the free will and assume that they are a better judge, even though they're constantly shown to be bad, bad, bad judgment. Right. Well, yeah, they are. They're, I think it's a fun push and pull, though, that keeps things moving. Well, and with my daughter in middle school right now, I sort of see it as a, one kind of metaphor here is when you're a child and you're powerless and you have a really bad teacher at school and your parents tell you, well, you just have to behave them and, and the teacher knows best and you just have to assume that, that there's a good reason for <laughs> the things your teacher is doing to you. <laughs> That's just come up in my own life recently. <laughs> And I mean, I think there's something about um, power and how people use it and how people behave around or deal with people with that just because that they have power. But if they didn't, you, you wouldn't suffer them at all, which becomes a factor, but that's not until Kyle Rayner's run. So at, at the end of Emerald Dawn 2, we get Hal Jordan leaving the same prison he was leaving at the end of Emerald Dawn 1, but now it has that scene has a the scene is shot from the reverse angle and it has a whole different meaning for us, which again, for me, is what sort of seals the deal on thinking uh, this all becoming by the end kind of a great little miniseries for me. The, the beauty of that doubling up of the of the scene and of reversing your perception of what happened. Yeah, no, it's a fun thing. And so we know that that 90 days, you know, so much happened. So yeah, I guess I guess a lot of that credit goes to uh, Keith Geffen, if he kind of was the architect of the entire plot. Yeah, it feels like there was kind of a lot of hands in the pot on this one, yeah. which had some weaknesses and had some strengths, but it's it's fun. Well, in every issue, Keith Geffen is listed as the plotter, and then in a few issues, or in, in some issues, he both does the plot and the breakdowns, and some issues just the plot. Mm -hmm. and he's he's someone who's often in his career um collaborated with other writers or co-plotting and then doing the art uh, i think throughout the entire which i've never read i've been meaning to read the entire series 52 he did the layouts of every single book oh okay yeah and i think he did the same thing in future's end which i liked a lot until the very last issue but um Okay. Um, so anyway, he's an interesting creative figure throughout DC's history from the 80s till now. Yeah. Well, he did more humor stuff with JLI with uh, DeMatteis, right? Right. He's famous for that humor stuff. He's famous for his work on The Legion with Paul Levitz. Huh. Don't think I heard of that one. I thought The Legion was bad. Is Legion of Superheroes. <laughs> well, you say it's bad, but have you heard of The Great Darkness Saga? Is that like uh, Darkest Night? That... <laughs> You haven't heard of that? No. Or are you just pulling my leg? So that was uh, an extremely popular 80s series or uh, arc of the mm -hmm. Legion where Darkseid comes back a thousand years from now and the Legion has to deal with him. But they're not as equipped because they don't have any uh, good heroes in their midst, right? Uh, <laughs> I don't think that was the problem. But, you know, to tell you the truth, I've never read the complete run. I... In the 80s, I managed to pick up random issues from that, and i it's all vague in my memory. So that's one of many things I'd like to go back and properly read. 
Is this a Legion with Superman or a Legion... I mean, with Superboy? I think it's without, but I can't even remember for sure on that. Do they have a Vox? I don't remember. I just don't remember. Maybe. Oh, okay. I just know that it's a beloved uh, Legion. Of, it's often considered one of the greatest Legion of Superhero stories. And it's Paul okay. Levitz and Keith Giffen working together. Alrighty, cool. So, well, we've uh, we've agreed that you will, or I've suggested the next thing, and you've agreed to do it, the next um, episode of Never Stay Dead, which will be about the coming back to life of the Uncanny X-Men. We'll start with uh, Giant Size X-Men number one and read about, I don't know, four or five, I think about five issues after that in the beginning of Chris Claremont's run. And so see okay. what we think of the the genesis of the Chris Claremont um, empire Era. that eventually built up from the X-Men. Yeah. The and then we know what we're doing after that, too. Yes. Um, you want to mention what that is? Your next choice? Sure. We'll be talking Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2... I swear I have this right. Uh, issues 30 through 35, which is the start of the JMS JRJR run. A lot of initials for you there. <laughs> uh, this is the coming home arc. This is one of the most beloved Spider-Man stories ever now, but certainly of kind of a newer age of Spider-Man post a lot of the more classic beloved stories. So... Yeah, I thought it'd be interesting to talk this one with uh, Damien. It's also what I'm supposed to be talking about elsewhere, but that's behind a paywall, so no one cares. Yeah, I'm excited. I've always wanted to read that that period of Spider-Man, and um, it'll be more interesting to me to do it with you and with all your Spider-Man um, lore. Yeah, yeah. So. This is this is a good one, and if you haven't, I. I would definitely recommend reading this one. Uh, it's pretty easy to come by. We know when the world's back in order. <laughs> or easy to read digitally or something like that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is definitely on Unlimited. It's sold and by its own trade. It's, I think, on discount a lot. and everything. Might even be on Hoopla, yeah. for all we know. I, yeah, I don't know if it's on Hoopla or not, but probably it's interesting we're going very mainstream x-men green lantern x-men again spider-man okay well we will be back and we will not be dead at <laughs> i so expect uh, both of us to be alive and we can do what we talk about the x-men all right sounds like a party